0: Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve.
1: Thanks, Art. It's a hard act to follow. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I'm Carl, I'm from Ireland, and um, thanks very much. Uh, it's great to be here and thanks to all the speakers, especially Angela for her experience, strength and hope. And uh, yeah, it's quite emotional really uh, to be here. If I start crying, they're just tears of joy really. Um, but I read something from the White Book a few days ago and it said, the true share is not what you have to keep, but what you have to give away. And I think that just sums up so much of what I've found in essay over the years. And let me take you back. Uh, 19, yeah, I was born in 1966. Hippie generation. The doors and all that crazy music that was me um and in 1977 uh two americans came by our door and they'd crashed their car and my dad helped them fix it up and they were from la and uh my brother started writing to them back and over. And they started sending us gifts. And I started writing to them. I got jealous because they were sending my brother more gifts than me. Walkie talkies and things like that, and skateboards. We never had a skateboard in Ireland. Um, we've got these big hills. You can get down the skateboards on them. And uh, so I started writing more letters than him. And about a year later, they sent me a ticket to go to LA I was 15 years old in 1980 and I had a pretty troubled childhood uh lots of, lots of trouble really and um got abused you know over a long period of time and uh you know my parents didn't know how to deal with all that stuff you know they just didn't know how to deal with it it wasn't it wasn't part of their you know thing and um the guy who abused me was a pornography user. he got it from his dad's stash. He started abusing the kids in the village, me and my brothers and my sister and stuff and it 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 does take a toll on you, you know, and it sort of it sets you up for a wrong path, I think you know and I was introduced to a lot of crazy stuff very very young um so nineteen eighty I was sitting on this plane going to Los Angeles. And pinching myself, wow, I'm going to Los Angeles. And uh, looking down on the big city and the lights, thinking, this is nice, this is going to be good. And when I was there one Sunday afternoon, I was brought up in a religious household, so I go to church, and I went to church on the Sunday, and it was way out in the suburbs, and I was the only white guy in the church. And afterwards, this man... I went to light candles for my family back home and this man came up talking to me and he said, hey, w- how come you're here in the church? It's, you know, I said, well, you know, my friends took me a long way away. And uh, he said, oh, you know, I'm Irish. He said, you know, give me a call if you're around. And, and we struck up a friendship. His name was Fergus. And we struck up a friendship and... You know, we we, we exchanged numbers and he came back to Ireland for a bit. And and I hadn't heard from him for about 15 years. And that was it, really. Um, So basically my addiction got worse. I'd been acting out with myself a lot and it progressed. You know, I was 19, I started going out there, acting out. It got really bad, you know, it got really, really bad. I was really, really in a bad way. And I came to know the four horsemen terror, bewilderment, fear, and despair. And every day I got up, I wanted to kill myself, basically. And I'd think, hmm, how will I kill myself today? Maybe, you know, jump out in front of a car, jump out in front of a truck. Like suicidal thinking became just the norm for me. And I didn't know what was wrong with me. And I'd go out and I'd act out some more, come back, feel worse you know, drink, take drugs, try and blot out the reality that I was living in. And I just hadn't a clue what was wrong with me. And at this time I was living in London. My girlfriend at the time I got pregnant and I was in like, I was in hell really. You know, I couldn't remain faithful no matter what I did. And I started going to psychotherapists. This was not like in 19, this was before psychotherapy became popular. And... Um, I attended a couple of psychotherapists and they couldn't really figure out what was wrong with me. You know, they sort of say, well, can you not just accept that, you know, it's a natural thing to do what you're doing and just get over your guilt and you feel okay, you know. Um, and it, that didn't work for me, you know, it didn't work. And I graduated into more serious acting out now and I was acting out I wasn't going to work. I was going acting out in the morning, you know. And I just got into a very strange place mentally and emotionally and spiritually with acting out, you know. Um it 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 distorted my reality, you know, whereas like I I just I couldn't distinguish between what was right or wrong, what was moral and what wasn't moral. I was completely blinded. Um, if I got a thought or a fantasy in my head, it just Go, Carl. Do that. Do it now. Leave where you are. You know this force of lust that comes over you when you're in active addiction is so powerful. It's really hard to describe that to somebody. And um, my brother had went to New York, and he got sober in New York from alcohol, and he changed. He just like changed. He became. He went to New York got into serious recovery there. And when he came back from New York, he was like a different person, you know. Instead of kind of wrecking the house and wrecking the cars, he was like, hey, Johnny, where are we going today? Having some fun, you know. Totally different person. It was just incredible. And he'd go out to meetings. So he, he came home and said, I'm going to a meeting tonight. And we'd say, what, what kind of meetings are you going to? You know, I'm going to AA. And, okay, yeah, fine. And he'd come back and he'd be kind of calmer. He'd be more peaceful, you know. And the light bulb went off in my head and I said, I wish there was something like that for me, some group, something, somewhere. And um, one day I saw this ad in the paper and it was for another S group. And I said, God, you've answered my prayers. There is somebody out there. There's a group for people like me. I'm not just a crazy weirdo doing all this crazy stuff, trying to pretend it's normal, as Angela said Um trying to make the abnormal normal. And I'm just, I'm just something wrong with me. So there is a group. So I phoned the number, got in touch, and we set up, I I did find that group. But I couldn't get sober there. We just got sicker. There was a message, but it didn't, it wasn't, it wasn't the message I needed. It just, it was a place just to kind of stop getting worse for a while, and then I'd go back out again. And one of those members said to me, "You know, there's a guy coming from the states next week, and I think you should talk to him. He's three years of sobriety." And we just it was two of us in this group, and we just said, "What? He hasn't acted out. He hasn't acted out or like done all this stuff for three years." We just didn't believe it. We just didn't believe it was possible to stop. This was in 1995. So I picked up the phone. We didn't have mobile phones then, just coin boxes. I'd walk two miles to get to the coin box to ring this guy in Dublin. I was in the west of Ireland. He was 150 miles away. I put in the 50 pence in the phone. I picked up the phone. He said, I said, hello. He said, hello. I said, I'm Cahal. He said, my name is Fergus. (laughs) I said, were you in California in 1980? He said, yes, I was. He said, I'm three years sober. Do you want what I have? And I said, you know. I was literally standing in this phone box, just feeling this like force going, like just like this lit up, you know, just like the phone box lit up. Like, I just I just couldn't believe it. I just said, wow, you know. Just incredible. Like I just thought, so many times that God has bailed me out, put me back on the road, put me back in one piece again. And here it was, the answer to my prayers, you know, just to get sober, to stop destroying myself, my family, you know, to become a person that I wanted to be. So we started working the steps. He said, um, here's a book, got to read this. There is a solution, he said, you know. It's in here. If you want it, you got to read this stuff. Read it every day. Read a paragraph. Read a line. You know, here's another book for you. I take this one as well. And we're on sale offer. Take this one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I didn't know what acting out was. I didn't know what sexaholism was. I just, you know, had no idea what I was. You know, what was I? I was, you know, I was alone. I was afraid. I was unworthy. All these things. And that was the start of SA in Ireland. So we can say, like, Leroy Kaye started this off in 1975. Imagine if he was here today, like, you know, 500 people all enjoying recovery, like celebrating our recovery together. What a happy day, you know. It's like a wedding without the, without the bride and groom. <laughs> That's how we sit around these tables in Ireland and have weddings and sing songs. It's the same. We're celebrating recovery here. Um, So, you know, SA has grown. Like, it's grown in Europe. It's grown in Ireland. You know, one guy carrying the message. There was four of us in that group. Robert, who's got sober straight away, stayed sober. I went back. I had to slip and slide for three years. Very, very painful. I nearly died the last time. I was just like ready to just jump off a cliff. My acting out got so bad. Every time I went out, it got worse and worse, down to a lower bottom. And I reached the point, like Angela said, when I called my sponsor and I said, I will walk to China right now to get sober. I don't care. Just tell me what to do. And at that time, my sponsor was living in England, so... I promptly jumped on the boat to England and we went there and I worked the steps on a weekend, one weekend, and I got a taste of reality for the first time in my life, really. Um so intensively working the steps, like it just brought me to a place inside myself where I could, you know, distinguish what was insanity and what was sanity. That was the difference, like because I was living in an insane way. I was completely insane. Like I was I was just an autopilot, like it's like robot brain. Act out now, wherever you can, do it, get over, doesn't matter. You know, just recover and go back acting out again. And then all this like stuff I had to learn about steps and powerlessness, I I just felt like I was repeating a mantra in my head a thousand times a day. I'm powerless, God help me, I'm powerless, God help me, I'm powerless, God help me. Because that's what my sponsor said to do. It was better than me thinking. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Because my thoughts were dangerous. They're just actually toxic. There wasn't a single thought I could trust in there. Um, And, you know, so. We we kind of we had this little band of guys in Galway, and we'd only three people in the country, and we we had to call each other. Three, th- he said, "Make three calls a day." <laughs> yeah, three calls. Three of us were unemployed. One of us had a job. <laughs> we didn't have mobile phones. We had to go to coin boxes. So we were all walking around with big bags of change in our pockets, putting <laughs> coins into coin boxes, making our calls, three calls a day. One member said. To Fergus, he said, I can't afford to make these calls. He said, can you afford not to? So we made the calls, and we kept getting sober. We got sobriety going, and we shared the message with each other. And Fergus used to come back every summer, and he'd do more step work with us. And we write fear. we go out to restaurants, and we write fear lists and gratitude lists. And it was just amazing, absolutely incredible. I was so, like, this was like, I was like drowning in lust. And this was like me getting up on the riverbank and starting to just breathe fresh air again for the first time in my life ever. So we eventually found that there were sexaholics in England. I couldn't believe it. It's just amazing. <laughs> yeah. We went over to England to a convention. And Indra was there. Nicholas was there. Jean and... Sylvia were there. It was one of the earliest conventions ever outside of the US. It was incredible. And it's just like we were just a gobsmacked. God. Just English sexaholics. And Irish people don't like get on that well with English people, you know. (laughs) Some of us some of the members had to even get English sponsors. Imagine an English sponsor telling an Irish man what to do. (laughs) Wow. I was just like can't do that. But we got on it. We got over it. And we became friends. And SA started to grow in the UK. And then one day, this guy came from, another guy came from the States. He was called Mike C. And he arrived in our meeting in that in this small little room. We had about four people in it, in walks Mike C. He said, I'm from Chicago, you know. I'm just over here in a few weeks research and I'm you know, we found out like he was about like twelve years sober or something. And we were like, Oh my god, twelve years. How did you do that? <laughs> just amazing, you know. So we'd kind of get his number and we'd be you know, we'd call him and trying to chase we were just chasing sobriety. Anybody who came to Ireland with sobriety would just try and imprison them until we got all we could off them and then send them back to wherever they went. We didn't care. Just give it to us. Tell us what to do. We'll do it. Um, so that went on. And then some other guys came from the States. You know, Harvey came. We found out there was another guy in Nashville called Harvey. And he was like, he was even like long time sober. You know, like super sober. <laughs> and, uh, so <laughs> we started to say like, let's have our own convention. So we started a little convention in Ireland and, and that was just, you know, five or six people for a weekend. And they sort of said, let's get Harvey over. Wow. Next thing Harvey said, Harvey's got Nancy. Why don't we get Harvey and Nancy over? So the two of them came for a weekend. And that was incredible. You know, they're just just beautiful. And we, we stayed sober and uh, we started to learn about, you know, the Nashville block. Don't act out if your ass falls off. You know, critical things that you need to know. So this this kind of thing between Ireland and America goes way back. Like So like it, it was really nice to have Americans coming over to Ireland and to know that there were sexaholics in Ireland, that we, we weren't just, you know, we think of ourselves as the idol of saints and scholars. <laughs> but... It really, it's the Isle of Saints and Scholars and about 120 sexaholics. <laughs> so, we need people, you know, this, this, this call it sobriety tourism. Moving around, <laughs> carry the message, you know, rather than act out tourism, which doesn't really work. It's more expensive. And the hotels aren't as nice. So, it's really good that we see people coming in, you know, came into Europe with the message of recovery. And, you know, it's been such a good thing. Like, we, we, we as Denise said, we just had a convention in Ireland. There was 180 people there from 18 different countries. It's just amazing. Absolutely incredible. And, you know, Bill S. came from Nashville. We had Aviad from Israel and his baby. You know, it's just amazing. And, you know, we've had good times. You know, I've had much better times in recovery than I've had acting out, I can tell you that. You know, every day is a blessing in acting out for me, in, in sobriety. Whereas every day in acting out, I just got sicker. And I can't tell you all the things that SA has brought me through. You know, just just having members to call who care, who really really care about you, that means so much. You know, they don't they don't say, "Oh, I'm too busy. Don't call me back." Well, call another time. It's always call me later, or I'll call you back. You know, that's just been so good, so beautiful. Um. So later on, things you know got better in Ireland, and and then we found out like Art and Rose came, and they stayed for quite a while about a year I think or maybe two years two years and Rose came and set up Essanon in Ireland and that's still going you know and we keep in contact with all these our friends our overseas friends um, so now we got friends in Slovakia we got friends in Belgium got friends in Poland uh, Holland Germany You know, Spain. Europe is, you know, really good place for recovery right now, thank God. And I, you know, I can't say enough about just what SA has done for me in my life because I probably wouldn't be alive today without SA. I really wouldn't be here. I definitely wouldn't be here. It wasn't my plan ever, like in 1995, to come to St. Louis and tell you all about (laughs) SA in Ireland, you know. That was not my game plan at all. All I wanted to do was just stay alive for another day and try and find some peace between my ears. And today I just have that peace, you know, it doesn't go away. It stays every day. Once I do the next right thing, once I'm willing to take a few suggestions, you know, follow the steps, make a few calls, you know, it works. The program really works if I work it. And I say, like, I'm not a recovered sexaholic, I'm a recovering sexaholic. There's a difference, you know. I don't, I haven't, there's no graduation. And, you know, like, the great thing is that, like, my attitude towards God and people, my higher power has changed so much. And I think, you know, we, we say this joke in Ireland about two people boasting, have you ever met two humble people boasting about how humble the other person is? <laughs> how humble they are, you know. But trying for me, someone like me trying to get a bit of humidity going is a challenge because I don't like being told what to do. And I rebel most of the time against everything. And I try, like, until the pain gets so bad. Pain is the motivator for change. And then I'll take the medicine slowly, 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 (laughs) bit by bit. And this little reading of... Humility, here in page 75 from step 7, is a nice one. said says, during this process of learning more about humility, the most profound result of all was the change in our attitude towards God. And this was true whether we had been believers or unbelievers. We began to get over the idea that the higher power was a sort of bush league pinch hitter to be called on only in an emergency, which is what I did. The notion that we would live, still live our own lives, God helping a little now and then, began to evaporate. Many of us who had taught ourselves religious awoke to the limitations of this attitude. Refusing to place God first, we deprived ourselves of his help. But now the words, of myself I am nothing, the Father doeth the works, began to carry bright promise and meaning. And so... That journey of recovery is like, don't ever underestimate what you can do. You know, as Eric says there, he said, just going into a prison, sending someone an email, four years later the guy's out of prison, he's getting married, he's he's like found peace of mind. Don't ever underestimate what you can do, what you can do with this little message of sobriety, you know. It's a powerful message. You know, we need it, the world needs it, society needs it we needed in our homes and our families I, I needed myself every day just, just to be well, just to be alive to have peace, to have joy to be able to do the normal things to enjoy a good quality of life with my family, with my wife, with my children you know I, I just have experienced so many beautiful things you know, with my kids, with my wife, you know it's, it is a life beyond my wildest dreams I didn't ever expect to be here our planet and I've been many places in recovery and I'm really grateful for you guys for being with me on the journey because I was a loner I was isolated for so long now today I don't experience loneliness like I did before ever so I'm just going to finish with this little reading which I was told Fergus read it to me the first day he's still sober by the way many many years Among them, you will make lifelong friends. You will be bound to them with new and wonderful ties. For you will escape disaster together, and you will commence shoulder to shoulder your common journey. Then you will know what it means to give of yourself, that others may survive and rediscover life. You will learn the full meaning of love thy neighbor as thyself. So thanks very much for your time. Thank you